All right, welcome to episode 45. Uh, from a house, Shane McAnally is here, finally. Hi. Wait, when I know, I, it's taking forever. Oh, you got sick last week. I know, and I'm barely, if you can tell, I still sort of have this, which I prefer my voice like this, but I couldn't <laughs> talk at all last week. So, and I actually want to get to, you know, a lot of your stuff, and just a, a quick rundown before, because I have a, something else I want to talk to you about, but uh, number one songs of yours real quick, just so the, the folks out there listening, because you're like the most famous, not famous person in Nashville. That's, okay, yeah, I, I think that's probably, that, that's that's a that's a good way to say it, yeah. Because you have uh, the band Perry Better, Dig 2, America Kids, Kenny Chesney, Luke Bryan, Kiss Tomorrow Goodbye, Lady Annabellum, Downtown, Sam Hunt, Leave the Night On. Dirk Bentley, Different for Girls, Say You Do, Thomas Rhett, T-Shirt. I mean, there's a lot, and it keeps going, but that's how influential and, like, a big deal he is. Now, with that being said, I kind of want to talk to you about, like, theory for a second yeah. and philosophy because – That would be more fun. Um, well, don't worry. We'll get to the part where you have to be like, oh, <laughs> I get to just shucks, Bobby, shucks. But, and I also think Shane might be the richest person that's been up here. <laughs> because we, we were... Oh we, God, we, we, I did not think that's what you no, we were th- say. We were thinking... Oh, and it's, man. Is he the richest person we've... And I have no idea how much money you have, but I know what these songs pay if you write them in twos or threes. Yeah. You're probably... Well, I, I think we have the richest Bobby cast uh, guest yet. It's funny. I always joke about... To, I always joke to friends like, well, I'm rich. But when somebody else says it, all of a sudden you get red and you want to go, well, you know. <laughs> I think we have a new winner and I, until, yeah, I think right now you're- Hey, I'm you're, rich by the standards of where I came from. Leader in the you clubhouse. Um, <laughs> let's get to all that. And he was on, you're on Star Search. There's so much I want to get to. <laughs> but this came out this week and you are the guy to talk to about this because you're a writer and a producer and you're an artist. So here is Ed Sheeran, Shape of You, right? Girl, you know I want your love. Your love was handmade for somebody like me. Come on now, follow my Great song, great album, great album. All that's great, right? So this week, he had to add the writers of TLC No Scrubs to his song. Now, here is the part of No Scrubs. I'm going to play him back again, so it's... Girl, you know I want your love. Da, 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 da. I don't want no scrubs. When you hear those two, what do you hear? Well, I th- it's funny. I just heard about this, and I was—I literally was thinking about it this morning because I thought maybe the reason the writers noticed it was because at the end of that one phrase, he says, somebody like me, and they say, no love from me. Sometimes just the phonetically, the syllables, that the fact that they were saying E, me, would make somebody go, oh, that sounds – I would never have heard that, but I didn't write – no scrubs so it's hard to imagine if if i had written it maybe i would say that's on my song i i don't it doesn't i don't feel that now when you play them like that if i was if i was you know just like in a jury or however they do it i would probably say i see the connection there but as a songwriter because we are all rewriting and influenced and hearing things it would be hard for me as a songwriter to say that those writers should be on that song. That one's tough for me. It is tough. Yeah. And if Ed's going, hey, jump on as a songwriter, maybe he doesn't want to deal with it. Maybe he thinks it's too close. It's I, happened to him a couple times. It has. And even with C, and C on that song too. You know, C has a song that sounds like that at the beginning. Oh, really? And some other, yeah. So, I mean, wh- why do you And think- where does it stop? I mean, I, there... I, 
I don't know why it's happened so much lately. I mean, it seems like it started with Blurred Lines. And I, here's this. Here's the two. Here's Robin Thicke, Blurred Lines, by the way. Everybody get up. And they actually went to court and lost this case. Yeah. And so here's Marvin Gaye. Got to give it to you. I mean, for sure, this one. You don't hear yeah. this one, though? No, do I do. I do. No, the thing about that, I was the, my expression was, they. I cannot imagine that those guys, when they wrote it, and that when they made that track, that they... What they were thinking was theoretically. I mean, you said theory. They were thinking our melody and our phrasing is different, but the track it sounds, sounds exactly so similar. So yeah. you have to think of like the average listener's ear. Does this hearken to that? Does this make you think of that? It was certainly influenced by it. It's so hard because I mean, we. I would. I think it's a pretty safe bet to say. I can't speak for every songwriter, but most of the circle I run with, we drive to work every morning and come in and go. Oh my god, I just heard this song. Like, I want to write a feel like that, you know? Now, usually by the end of the day, you can hardly hear where we started, but we were still influenced by, I mean, it's it's impossible to sort of pinpoint where it all started, and I, I really feel bad for, the, for Ed Sheeran that this continues to happen in situations. Now, the other one of his, uh, the, um, the big song, was it Thinking Out Loud? Yeah. That song sounded very similar to the other song. I and I didn't I didn't actually know the other song, but I heard them side by side. Yeah, and, and that guy was from like a Amer- like a uh, idol, like um British idol whatever it's called. You know, and even that and I'll play you this. So, I'm going to pull up. And it's close, but even when, you know, TR Thomas did Die a Happy Man, that sounded I told Thomas first time I heard him I was like, I know. "Are you in like anything with Ed, like is yeah. it? And he was like, "No, not yet." And I guess nothing ever happened it's, from it's it. It's the production on "Die Happy Man" that kind of makes you think of that. Which again is, where does it lie? Is it the sound of the musicians playing, or is it the melody and the lyrics? And it's it's getting harder and harder to, I mean, for people to fight those things. What about here's this? And from, we don't want to as songwriters. Right. If someone thinks you stole something from, oh my god! I mean, if if someone has. You know, would ever say to me, "I think you got that from my song." Especially if we were friends, I would know they really felt that way. Songwriters don't just cry wolf. I mean, most of the time they're not just out there trying to, you know, get on a song. The ones I know, right? If they bring it up, it would be it would be very hurtful because you would think, "Oh, I would never want you to think that I stole that from you." You know, I haven't had that happen to me. I mean, I've had friends where we've discussed. I'll be like, oh, sort of like, you know, in a joking way, like, oh, that's kind of like the one that we wrote uh, that was never a hit, and now it's a hit for you. Um, but that's in the very close circle where we write so many songs, you know, that sometimes topics cross and things. This one here. Oh, won't you stay Sam Smith. And you know the song yeah, that, the Tom Petty. that uh, won't back down. Yeah. And now Tom Petty's a writer on the Sam Smith song. I would never have noticed it, but the melody is exactly the same. The weird thing about this one, the first time I heard, you heard it, I heard it. I was listening to Lightning 100, and yeah. they were playing Sam Smith, and I was like, "This sounds like an R&B Tom Petty." Wow! And I didn't hear it till it was pointed out, and I was like, "Well, it is." I mean, you count the notes. They used to say it was like seven notes or something. Now that's clearly not the rule anymore. It can be. A, do you feel like this came from this? I mean, I think there's actually. I think I shouldn't be talking legally because I don't know, but I just remember thinking that used to be a seven-note uh, rule or something. Like 
I think the sample rule also used to be that too. Like if you would sample, you don't have to pay for it up to like seven notes. Really? So that's why. Yeah. That's why you have these quick Beastie Boy samples. Oh right, where you would just hear they were singing. Boom. You know, again. So there are a lot of those, and I wondered how you felt because again, I feel bad for everybody involved because I hate for somebody on one side like No Scrubs for those folks to think that he stole from them. But God, to get that call and then to hear them side by side and go, "Wow, I guess you can sort of." You can hear it, but the production is so different. The way we make records is so different than when no scrub. You know, so the sound is just different. But you, you lay them out. I mean, there is. I, I can see where somebody would hear it. I wouldn't have heard it. For me, and I am by no means a real life songwriter, but I've written a kids album and you know, write comedy songs. I have to have writer's insurance in case someone sees yeah, me. Me too. I can only imagine, and this is mine's got to be minuscule compared to what yours is. Yeah. You know, I don't really know what we pay. I know that we're covered in that way um, because certainly when you have this many songs floating around and and uh, it gets – I have to be honest with you. It's funny. In country world, we kind of stay in our in our corner. When we have things that start to cross over is when I, I start – like the, the the new Sam single, Body Like a Back Road. Uh, I've heard a couple of different people say it reminded them of songs. And I can't even tell you which ones – different ones. Oh, it makes me think of this. And I'm like – Oh God, that song is getting is looking to sort of make the crossover push. I'm like that's when I would be afraid of it when it has that sort of attention on it. Well, more ears bring more thoughts, right? Exactly. And so exactly. when it goes from 40 million people hearing it to 500 million people hearing it, it somebody, yeah, exactly. So let's talk about you for a second. Oh, and my favorite subject. Let's bounce around a little bit first of all. Because you grew up in Texas and you went to UT for yeah, a bit, right? For a year, yeah. And so you wanted to be like a, like an accountant or a financial guy. I went, I went. I was in accounting. I was weirdly really good at math. That was one of the only natural things to me in school, and uh, which did kind of show up in my songwriting. It, a lot of people don't have, don't see songwriting that way. It's it is numeric to me when I look at no, lyrics on a page, seeing the way the lines lay out. Uh, it looks mathematical, almost like a graph, like, oh, that verse doesn't match the second verse. And that's not how most people write. And I've gotten, I've tried to get away from it because there is a more train of thought way of writing now. Um, but with that said, I, I, like, you know, you take your SATs and they can separate different parts. The, the, I did very uh, good enough in math to be in the School of Business at UT, which is harder to get into once you've been there a couple years. So they, Suggested since my scores were high enough, go ahead and start in the school of business. So I was an accounting major, but I mean, in my first year, I didn't really get that deep into it. You super good student. I was in yeah. high school. Yeah. Like you, I'm a, a competitive person. I think it had to do with more wanting to for people to like me, wanting to be the best at stuff. Were you super gifted or super no, hard worker? I was a hard worker. Really. Mm-hmm. So okay, so you go how in the because I imagine you can sing while you're doing this mm-hmm. because you, you're an artist. Yeah. So are you singing in Texas? Yeah, I was uh, at about twelve. I started. I got on stage the first time and just sang it like a you know local contest at the mall. What that turned into was sort of a weekend gig of of um, going around to in Texas and Oklahoma and Arkansas. There's sort of an Opry circuit. I don't even really know if this is still something that goes on. But when I was a kid, there were places you could go and play with the band there. These Opry's. And uh, reviews. There was this one in uh, Grapevine, Texas, where it was like Leanne Womack, Steve Holy, myself, Leanne Rhymes grew up on that show. It was the Johnny High Country Music Review. A lot of a lot of uh, Nashville talent has come from there. So that's what I would do on the weekends, and uh, and it got 
you know, and then I was on Star Search, and I moved to Branson for a while. You can't skip over Star Search like that. Like, you can't go, I was on <laughs> I want Star. I so bad. I'm so glad you do not have a way to show that clip. Well, it's just, you have to meet Evan, man. Yeah. I'm a, yes. Like, if for those, if you're a listener and then you're under 25, you don't even know who Ed McMahon is. <laughs> exactly. But Ed McMahon was, he was like the dude. That was the coolest thing about doing it. It was American Idol before it was American Idol. Right, exactly. So you went on Star Search at what age? I was 15. And what did you sing? I sang Sometimes When We Touch. Sometimes When We Touch. Yes, very serious. I wore the most How many stars did you get? I got two and three quarter. I did not do well. And I was against this Literally, a 14-year-old Whitney Houston, I swear. I I saw her in rehearsal, and I was like, what am I doing here? I was just this country kid, try, and I tried to like jazz it up because I was against her, and I saw what she did, and I tried to do things that vocally were not really in my you know element, and uh, I, I learned a lot. I got, I was really hurt by that. It's funny. It sounds, you know, I, my, my childhood was a little bizarre, my, um, my parents divorced when I was 12. My dad actually went to to prison, um, and I just was kind of a lost kid really trying to hold it together in a way that Star Search, I pinned a lot of my hopes and dreams on that, um, if that makes any sense. Like, I, I was like, if I can win this, something will happen for me outside of this. So I, I took it very, very seriously. And uh, it's it's funny. I, I I have a hard time even now. I'm 42. It's still. I just did this thing at the Hall of Fame where they showed all these clips of me growing up and stuff. This Poets and Prophets series, which was an honor, but they showed a clip of that. That they asked if they could, and it was really hard for me. I mean, do you feel like you let your mom or dad down? Absolutely. And I and look, I don't feel like that now. Look what I've my life has gotten into. But I think. I think it's more about I look at that kid and I just wish I could have talked to him so that he would just calm down, you know? You know, and I relate to you in the way of my parents. I don't know my real dad, you Mm -hmm. know, and um, my mom's not alive anymore. But I came from a broken home too and I always felt a little bit like it was my fault. There was some kind of... If I could just... If I would have just been better at something, that maybe it wouldn't... And I think that's a common feeling. It doesn't really... Logically makes sense when you're an adult and you but look. We're back not at logical it. of we're eleven, like, fifteen. Yeah, exactly. You're like, why would that? Why would it be your fault? But yeah, I mean, that was sort of that that star search thing. Weirdly, is a great symbol of what it 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 marked something for me. Uh, you know, also I, I I was look I I didn't even know this myself and and not to make it about this, but I was really sort of a, a stranger in my own body because. I was gay and I didn't know, but sort of you're mixed up and I'm growing up in this small town in Texas where everything is football and, and, you know, testosterone and like I'm singing. I just thought I would go on star search and like show everybody at 15 in Texas. Were you openly gay to anyone? No, no, not even to me. I mean, my, I had a girlfriend through college and, and, uh, I don't even think I was lying. I mean, a lot of times people will be like, how could you have lied? I, I think I just had no exposure. I just felt out of place. When you did know? you finally feel in place? I don't know. I mean, I think I still struggle with that. It, it's funny. I, I was just I was just saying this to someone the other day, a young artist. I said, you know, I thought when I had kids that somehow something would click and make me a grown-up. 
that I wouldn't still be scared of the same things or because you can your parents kind of have to fake it or or adults I'm I'm still I still have the same insecurities same fears but I do feel really loved in this community um I feel really respected and so I don't know if it if you as if a creative person ever feels like they completely fit I think that's that's what drives us. And that's why you keep creating because you feel like you have to keep creating so you can create right. whatever the full is and you it's, never achieve the, the full. search. Exactly. You're always on the search. But I will say that, that this success and this sort of acceptance by the, the songwriting community in Nashville, it does, that is a little part of my heart. It's a little more, a little more together. I mean, I'm, that sounds dramatic, but, uh, you it's know, not dramatic. You, it's you not know, dramatic if it's true. If it's a real feeling you have. Yeah. Then it's your truth. I don't. Some of. The, I mean, saying this, I haven't ever said it that way. When you said, "When did you fit?" And I guess I don't. I, I don't. But I. But I. And most people I know probably don't. But there are moments of where people uh, doing things like this. I mean, getting to see it all together. Here, the fact that you want to talk to me, it it is validating, and it does feel like I did something. How do you feel about because the country music genre? Gets this reputation as being Southern, male, got to be straight. Mm-hmm. Here you are, a gay man, super successful in country music. But I don't feel what everyone else says we're supposed to be. You, it isn't right. Like no. I don't feel what everyone says. It you, you have know, to be this way. It's funny because uh, th- a few years ago, when I was first having a big run, um, this guy uh, came to do a story on me from the New York Times, and the, the angle was gay in country music what that must be like like that you're going in with all these you know redneck straight masculine men and writing these songs they must it must be hard to even get in the rooms with those guys or I and I said you know it just has not I have not had that experience I think that there are so many great songwriters and you just have to be so much better than everybody else to in any capacity. It doesn't matter if you used to have a record deal or if you're gay or if everybody has a reason why it's not going to work for them. And, you know, a lot of times gay songwriters will come up to me at, at the Bluebird or whatever and say, oh, you've just been so inspiring to me. Like, what would you say to a gay songwriter? And I'll say, just write the best songs. I mean, that's that really sounds simple, but I would love to have used it. And maybe sometimes I have used it as a reason you know, for like not getting something, but the reality is I've never been treated uh, in a negative way. If anything, I think it's been the opposite. As you look back, and man, we have a lot, have a lot. Uh, here, before I do this, let me talk about, what's, what's our first sponsor? Sleep number. sleep number. The great thing about doing this podcast from my house is that my bed, my sleep number bed is just about 10 feet from here because we do the show upstairs in my house and my bedroom's right next to it. And I love my sleep number bed for a bunch of reasons. First of all, if you're trying to live a healthy lifestyle and you need a balanced diet and a regular exercise, but mostly you need great sleep and people sometimes don't think about that. At a sleep number store, you go into the store and you feel how a sleep number mattress adjusts to you for the right comfort every single night. And I don't know if your bed does that or not. Probably doesn't, I guess. The sleep number bed lets you choose your ideal comfort on each side so it's perfect for couples. Optional sleep IQ technology to give you personal insights. And sometimes I come right over, like I'll be laying down, like 30, 30, 30 minutes or so, I come right over and do this. My sleep number setting is uh, 30, and my sleep IQ last night, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night, to be honest with you, because I was just out and gone late, so I'm not going to lie. I don't even know what it was. So right now, say $400 on the most popular P5 mattress, 
800 next bed to find one of the 500 sleep number stores near you 800 next bed and that's about sleep number okay we're back and so as you look and have so many clips here and you're you're so accomplished at your age let's start with Kenny Chesney okay because it, it seems it was a big part okay um, let's start with that so how did the Kenny you getting into the Kenny camp start? Well, what's weird is that I – so I had a record deal in the 90s. I moved to Nashville in 94, 95, and uh, I had a record deal and was I was managed by the same folks that manage Kenny still to this day. Buffy? They, they still – no, Buffy is works on that team, yes, but Clint Hyam, who manages Kenny, managed me. And um, so I got to – this is in the 90s. I mean, he wasn't what he is now. He was still, he was playing like 3,000 seat venues and I went on the road with him. But we didn't really know each other. Uh, we sang at like a wedding together. You know what I mean? Like we would cross paths. So then jump to uh, 2009. At that point, I had moved to LA. I moved back. I'm still great friends with his manager. But, I mean, we're, we're very close. And um, I had this song and that I had written still living in LA but back and forth to Nashville and I sent it to him and he loved it and he was like my you know my friend he was like I want to send this to Kenny he tried it didn't really get there I had a friend Robin Palmer who still works with me now who's pitching songs she pitched it every which way and just couldn't get it through and finally it he did hear the song he did not know I wrote it or connect me from 10 years prior but what happened was when he recorded the song, he then reached out and started listening to so much more of my stuff. What was the first song you're talking about? Somewhere with you. Well, I'd much rather sleep somewhere with you, like we did on the beach last summer when the rain came down. So this song was just a, just a monster song, and, and it, is, it was a turn for him. I mean, the thing was it the phrasing was strange in the in a way that I this was very natural to me the way the writing of this so. That is why so much happened so fast because I had a lot of songs like this. So when you have a hit like this for someone that is kind of out of their comfort zone but makes them, it, it creates this comfort lane for them. That's right. And so they go, okay, I'm coming back to you because what you did is something that no one else has been able to do with me. That's right. So then what, then what do you do? Well, I would send him everything first and then, um, and then, in, the, in between, I'm starting to, again, some of the songs that were sort of cousins of Somewhere With You, like Alone With You, <laughs> even the title, uh, I had a, a few songs like that, uh, and Jake Owen recorded that. And, and Oh, that's uh, a jam, by the way. Like that's That might be my favorite Jake song. He sounds so good on it. Yeah, right? And it sounds so good on the radio. So, okay, continue on. So, uh, I had a, a run of a few things like that that got placed. Then he recorded Come Over, and um, that was a song that that I'd written with Sam Hunt. One of the first things I wrote with Sam when I met him. And this, to me, Come Over was when the real downfall, or not downfall, what's like the when it started to just, everybody was, then it wasn't like a one-hit thing. It was like everybody started coming to me. And I think it's because it, you know, it does kind of when it happens twice like that. And uh, so, yeah, this song I feel like was just as important as Somewhere With You, but in a different way. Because then 
we had done it twice um, with Kenny in that lane, you know, something he hadn't done before. And so it was just you and Sam that wrote this? And Josh Osborne. Another, another power hitter there. Absolutely. Man. So how does Sam at that point, because Sam, as America knows him, wasn't Sam at that point. Right. How does Sam get in a room with you and Josh? Well, it's interesting that we, the, the connection, actually, he was managed at that time by Clint Hyam, who is the guy who manages Kenny, who managed me in the 90s. So he just had, he had met Sam and, and was working with him and said, I want you to to write with this kid. And, and uh, you know, we just hit it off. And we wrote a long time and we wrote a lot of songs before ultimately what sort of turned for Sam was when we wrote the song Take Your Time, which at this point now is five years old. Let's get there. Yeah, I didn't mean to jump let's get, No, let, let's yeah. get there because we're going to get all, yeah. listen, this is McAnally Drive here today. We're, Man, we're, we're, we're driving down it. <laughs> Talk, uh, Kenny, I'll give you one more Kenny one here. Yeah. Talk about this one. So, American Kids, I, I wrote with Luke Laird and Rodney Clawson, uh, and it was the first song the three of us had ever written together. Two, the two of the biggest writers, in, you know, the history of country music, actually. And um, it's funny about this song is Josh and I, Josh Osborne and I, flew to St. John to write with Kenny, with him. Coming back on the plane on that trip, we wrote "Wild Child." Okay, Coming him back, and Grace ended up cutting, right? Well, Grace? him and Grace, yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. On the way back on the plane, Kenny said, "This was for the um, big revival record." He said, "I have everything but the first single. I just don't have it." And he's looking through emails while he's on his plane. I'm sitting next to him, and he said, "Here's an email you sent me three months ago. I never listened to it." At that time, Little Big Town had just started to record this song. They had laid down the initial tracks. I didn't say that in the moment because I see his, he's like listening on his headphones literally next to me and he looks at me before, I mean, 30 seconds in. He was like, this is the song. This is the one. And well, I didn't say, a weird place, it was though. awful. It was, that's the worst of that sort of thing that's happened uh, because it, I didn't say in that moment because I didn't know what to do. I didn't say, well, it's on hold, and I let me check with them. I just sat there, like, what did you just, say? Like, what what did you say? Well, in that moment, I didn't say anything. I was like, awesome, like, <laughs> glad you like it. I wish you'd <laughs> opened it when I sent it to you. Um, but then we got back, and I called Clint, and I said, oh my god, like Kenny said, he loves this song, and you know, and uh, I called Little Big Town's manager, who's also one of our good friends, and it was not great at first. Did you, was, call, did you call Jason? It was, I'd call Jason, yeah. And uh, it was not a great conversation. It was, he said, well, you know, this isn't, it's not professional for you to, they have the song, they should get to try it. And I said, no, no, I know, I don't know what to do. So uh, basically what happened was that eventually Clint did talk to Kenny about it. And Kenny said, here's the thing. I, this is my first single from this record. At that point he had he had taken two years off. Uh, he had put out like a beach record, you know, he does that every once in a while. So this was a big thing for him. He said, this is going to be my first single. Let's find, if Little Big Town is that invested in it, if they feel like it's that sort of record for them, then we'll back off, but let them know that's where I'm at. This is not a record cut. And luckily they were not, they weren't far enough along at that point. And they said, you know, if Kenny is going to say that's his first single from his record, then we can't hold you back because we don't know. Where we're going to be. So that's what happened. So is it ever – let's okay, so let's say that call happens, and I'm just going to hypothetically throw this out there. So Kenny calls Little Big Town. He goes, hey, I'd like to have this. 
So does he owe a little Big Town one later down the road? If, if maybe, I mean, I think that's more personal. Yeah, like, and the truth is, what happened with that whole run, which is really interesting, is that on the whole cycle of you know you have a big hit. That was a big. That was a big song for Kenny. Um, at the same on the same cycle, they had Girl Crush, and so I think they got over it pretty fast. <laughs> Yeah, they probably. <laughs> we were nominated at every award show against Girl Crush with American Kids. I mean, of course, Girl Crush was you know a steamroller, and and I I say that it's the best song of the century. I mean, I I worship that song, you know. Um, so it certainly in the end, not that you couldn't, they couldn't have had both, but you know, it's just funny the way that that worked out. You mentioned Sam, and which song did you mention from Sam? Uh, Take your time. I don't want to steal your freedom. I don't want to change your mind. Now, this wasn't his first single. No. So, we actually wrote the first single after that song. But that song was when something happened where it was like, this is a sound. It took five years of him being in town, writing. He had a lot of hits on other people. But it was just that that phrasing in the beginning, the talking, it, it for some reason he could do it. And we felt it in the room, Josh and I, when Sam was doing it, it was like, this doesn't feel goofy. But if Josh or I tried to sing it, it would be hilarious. And Josh does sing it in rounds, and I think it's a mistake. But um, <laughs> I always joke when he starts it, I always go, I don't know if you're looking at me or not. It just makes me laugh. Sam says it, and it sounds perfect. And it's it's that sort of lane when someone finds that lane that nobody else can sing these songs. You know, no people could say they could cut "Take Your Time," but it wouldn't be the same. And that was when the spark happened of how a record should be made on Sam. Like, what's the sound? Whatever that is, that's Sam Hunt. And so, even though we knew you couldn't lead with that because it was a little shocking. Uh, we felt like that was the pinnacle of what, and it, and it proved to be true. Usually, these things don't map out like that. With him, it did. And so you led with, if I'm remembering my Sam chronically, because because we'd have Sam in early. I thought it, I thought he was so like crazy, weirdly awesome. Oh yeah, and it was like, hey guy, I don't even really know you, and you played the hard. Uh, no, he played uh, Dave and Buster's, and we were like, dude, come on the show, right? Because you just played Dave and Buster's, and that's really unique yeah. and I need to hear it and he would come in and play and he played like and I remember being shocked when he played it live because I was like whoa like I thought he was talking to me over, I know for, when the first time it's almost live, a little odd like I you don't like, want to look him in the eye are you talking to me or are you but it was so different where you're like huh it's hard to cut and it, not just music anything creative it is hard to have something that cuts through period I know yeah. in a world of a million lights right. it's hard for your one little to shine and that was a light that just shined. Well, that was this. I mean, that is what Take Your Time did, and and we we're very lucky that we also then went on to write Leave the Night On. He had which that came out idea. before though, right? It like, did. It you wrote the, it in the opposite order, but Leave right. the Night On came later. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Leave the Night was the first, first single, single, but you wrote it later. That's right. Wow, that's yeah. interesting. And this is a more digestible it, first it song, almost. It could almost blend with some other things. Someone else could have cut it. Just got him enough attention so that then he could come and take your time. So leave the night on. Take your time. Um, break up in a small town. Yeah. Where'd this fall into the mix? It was written a- after those two songs. Um, 
it was probably one of the last things written for Montevallo, and uh, he had the whole chorus written. He sat down with Zach Crowell and I, and he sang that whole chorus. And I thought, it sounded so country, the whole hook of Break Up in a Small Town. Um, I had no idea that what we would end up writing was the the most left thing on the record around that. But just on acoustic guitar, that you would get down. I can't even attempt to sing right now, but but you know that melody was just a great country, and the you got to move or move on. I just thought, God, this is so this is such a great story. I've never heard it. And it's it's funny how you said how one artist can take it and do something. For example, when Sam did, I met a girl, right. and, and on the mixtape. So mm-hmm. that's where I knew I met a girl from. Was, right. I met a girl. She made me smile. She made me wait. And then. William Michael Morgan does it. I met a girl. You can't sound any country. Right. I mean, that's, and you know what? You get this, and I've heard you say things like this. At the end of the day, this song, it it said something a little bit different, but it said something somebody's felt. And I do think that, that that's the bottom line of great songs, you know? Sam did it the way he would do it, and, uh, this one here, though, it's a, this one here is just a game changer. Chance, it's a game changer, dude. I can't even, I cannot believe what is happening with this song. I was talking on the radio about it, and I was like, hey, listen, uh, you know, and just full disclosure here, Sam and I are, are managed by the same people. Mm-hmm. Like, we we have the, the same umbrella. The same umbrella, mm-hmm. yes. And so, and I was like, you know, I, I don't think that, for Sam, it's like the number one priority to cross over all the time. He definitely doesn't. He definitely but, does not set out to do that. But what I said was, you almost can't control this. Right? It's gonna get so big that you can fight it, or you can say, you know, I don't care, or I'm indifferent, or I can't. This is the song that. Okay, good luck trying to hold it back. I, I, I have to say, this song had many forms. Sam is those verses. That seems so simple. Got a girl from the south side. There are probably 40 versions of it. He knew the way, the playfulness that had to be there to set up a hook like that. You know what I mean? He just knew, and we we worked on it. By far, this is the most we've ever worked on a song, and it really? sounds the simplest. My lips on on I mean, you just you're just not gonna be able to hold that one. Not that you'd want to, but right. even if you wanted to, you're not. Gonna I'm be able with to hold you. I back. mean, listen, I hear that one as a fan. It comes on, and I'm just the the process of writing that song was was so sort of tangled. You would not believe how simple. You can't imagine that a simple song that came out of it. I hear it, and I don't really remember the process. I hear it as a fan. I'm like that happens sometimes where you hear it, and you're like, I just love this song. I mean, I'm so glad that I'm a writer on it, but I really don't even remember that part of it because there's so many versions of it. The weird thing, too, and it's tough because, again, I worked I, – I was born and raised in Arkansas, so I grew up on even older country than I was supposed to listen to because of my grandma. My grandma raised me and adopted me for a while when I was a kid. And okay. so for me, it was the, – the I got to know the really old stuff before I got to know the McGraw and the Garth stuff, which right. – but then – you know, I was an alternative nut in the I, I was a grunge kid in the '90s, and I loved hip hop. And so, for me, I've been able to work all these formats just because I love music. Yeah, just straight up, I just love music. And when I was a pop, and I was doing, I spent ten years like building a syndication company at, at pop. And the only real artists that would cross over were, for the most part, female-ish driven 
Taylor's Lady A because right. Hillary was the lead. You wouldn't have a lot of male crossovers. Yeah, vocally, like, I, I understand that. And even Rascal Flatts, they don't sound super masculine. Right. Because Gary's voice is, is a high voice. Right. And so this is going to be one of those songs. Well, it's an interesting thing. You just nailed it. I mean, he, he sounds very masculine. He sounds... I don't know. It, you just cannot put your finger on those things. Like, he just has... It's something that appeals, and you know, like when he talks, and people say, "Oh, you know, like do, can he really sing?" The tone of his voice on a microphone is, you know, there's like the John Mayers, like the people that Adele has that. It, it's yes, they're great singers, but there's something in the tone of their voice that is so distinct and so warm. You just said, I mean, that that, that word, it feels like they're talking to you. It's warm, and that's why it's going to be able to cross over. Yeah. Is because. Pop's a very female format, right. and they don't—they're not going to take a lot of the super masculine country. They're and, just not. And going I actually to. think, honestly, we always joke about the way Sam looks, but the truth is that was a hurdle. It will be—it's a help now because people find him legit. But in the beginning, the way he looked, I—he I, had a, a moment of people taking him seriously. Well, because if you're really good looking, you expect things are given to you, and you're a polished right. product. Exactly. That's why, yeah. and that's really, and that's not an unfair observation, right. because most of the time when we see that inside of music, and I do the same thing, and someone's beautiful, we go, okay, they're beautiful, but really, what? Right. Could, and it takes a minute to let to soak in to say, that's just part of him. I mean, that's just the way he looks, but it, it's it it is no indication of of how hard he's worked or or that he was meant to do this, you know. Uh, let's move over to Casey Musgraves, mm-hmm. who I've said a bunch of times. Like, if I had to pick a, an artist, like my favorite artist is Casey. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you worked with Casey a lot. Yeah, she was a big part of of me not just being seen as enough that there's anything wrong with this, but I had ambitions to do more than just songwrite. Um, I wanted to be more involved in the development of the production of. Uh, just I wanted to be a part of an artist's career because my artist's career didn't work out but I still had I don't know something about developing that color you know it's like a real lane I would look back at the people I loved like Dolly Parton like Willie Nelson and they were so distinct you know and the people around them usually it was a small group that sort of helped to develop and Casey was a great vehicle in that way because she trusted me and Luke Laird and we wrote a lot of songs together and started just doing demos in Luke's studio and that's how same trailer started to be put together. Casey knew herself well enough that she didn't go looking for a big hot producer at the time because Luke and I had not done anything. So she just looks like this is the way it's supposed to sound, you know? This record was so good. I mean, it's still one of my favorite records, period. Yeah. In the last five, seven, eight, nine years. It is. It's it's just a, it's a ride. It's why we make records, you know? So with this song, and I can remember playing "Follow Your Arrow" every hour. Just yeah, just pissing I remember. People off. I remember when you played it, and I was, you was just the like, only one doing it. I was just like, you know what? Everybody just screw off. And I, I came into this running a little hot, and I know I was a little bull in the china shop. And it, but still, I was just like, if we're really gonna get mad, let's get mad at something worth getting mad about. Yeah, because there were people that were upset at this song. So and it's so funny. We that was so unintentional. Really? I mean, given her personality, a, a lot of people think that was just so calculated. Like I'm just gonna, you know, flip like, off the industry. F everybody. It was just. It was so not without thought. We just never knew that was gonna do that. You know. 
it was so weird that people would be mad. I would, and I, again, I became a real dick about it because I was like, how, how are you going to be mad about something like this? Mm-hmm. Went to number 42. Which is, uh, it still pisses me off, dude. But you know, we also saw such a great, it, there is a, a, what a silver lining in that song that, that the CMA named it Song of the Year and shocked everybody in the room, including us. I mean, we were so shocked by that. That was like one of the greatest moments to be truly, truly like punched in the gut in a great way where you just had no idea. I mean, I was looking at the whole row of songwriters like nobody was worried about Follow Your Arrow. <laughs> what was it up against? Um, we, uh, Automatic, uh, because that was the year, I re- that's what I remember thinking the most. That like would, that, that's going to win. win. Yeah. yeah. Um, gosh, you know what? I get confused of what was where. I don't remember. It does, they all start to blend. Yeah. You're right about that. They all start to yeah. blend. But yeah, that, that was a that, that was a jam. I'm going to play it. Step off. Is it? Step off. Like this is a jam. Step off. And this, I think this should have been a single. I think, I think it might have... I, at the time, that that change right there is so bu- kind of bizarre. It's sort of circusy, and I I kind of was under the I thought that, I don't know that that would work. But looking back, I think if people had seen her as a bit more playful on that record, that maybe she would have had more commercial success. I don't know. Step off. It's jam. I love it. I want to run through some songs, and uh, let's just talk. We'll do uh, like a, a quick f- fire and answer here. Okay. I'll play this one. Um, Shane, how about Urban? By the way, I have a wall here, and so in, on my wall, when people come in, these are like the artists that I've like directly been Absolutely. involved. With. Like yeah. these are my people, and uh, Urban's one of them. Yeah, uh, Marin, obviously, Girl Crush, because that was a big controversy for me. I, mean, I was like, on that train with you, by the way. I know we're not really talking about that. No, we talk about whatever you want. Girl Crush was, I was literally not that I not that this should even make a difference. I was doing whatever I could. I was posting pictures of my kids in those girl crush hats and you know literally that I was that song I called all three songwriters the day I heard it I had never been so blown away by an idea a cut the sound of a vocal that song is a perfect record yeah all of they were doing an album release party and I heard it the night before the album came out and and um Day drinking wasn't wasn't number one yet, but it was about to. It was mm-hmm. it was that week, and I heard the song, and I'm like, I'm putting this on the radio the next day, and I put, and I got in so much trouble, so much trouble, Shane, that program directors were complaining to my bosses yeah. of my stations, right? Because they're like, oh, it's a lesbian song. That was okay. So so, so whatever, you know, it's all great. It's all so whatever. So I'm, I I, I continue to play it, right? I continue to play it. And what happens is my company then is like, okay, we have to see if this is trouble because they start, then they re- my company spends research on a show, you know, we're the big national yeah. show, and so they want to make sure and do research and see what pe- how people are feeling. They have to test me talking about the song without my knowledge to see if people were getting upset about it, and they weren't. Okay. And my company's like, okay, well, people aren't doing what every not every what a lot of program directors are complaining right. about. It's not real. And then I have a f- and. So I played it, played it, played it. It wasn't a single yet still. Had a friend at the Washington Post, whatever, whatever. It became a controversy, whatever, whatever. Next thing you know, love it. Like, I was so happy for them. I was so – I in my room, I don't keep a lot of stuff because then it just gets into it. Like, yeah. But I have, you know, Liz and Hillary and Lori did – they hand wrote the lyrics to Girl Crush and wrote a note and have that framed. And that's so – of all the things that I have, like, that one's really important to me. 
because again, I'm just a fan of music. Yeah, and I just put on stuff I like. I got to tell you something real funny about the domino effect of what happened with Girl Crush that affected me. This is so funny that we're sitting here talking about it. You don't even know some of the vibrations that are put out there. So when that record came out, I had a couple songs on that record. One of them was um, Quit Breaking Up With Me. It was the first song on the record. It was in contention to be the first single. A really strange song I wrote with Natalie Hemby. Um, oh, I love, by the way. She was just in. Yeah, it's, I love her. And so it was going to be the second single. And then their plan was that Girl Crush would be third. But Girl Crush started having this life, and the record came out, and it started selling. So the reason this all these different things happened is I was actually in Texas with Casey. We were writing for pageant material, and Jason is her manager and Little Big Town's manager. And so Jason and Natalie and I are together in Texas, and Jason calls and says, I got to tell you guys something. We're going to have to change the single to Girl Crush because radio has, you know, taken off and so we're not going to go with quit breaking up with me and so at the same time that this was happening Miranda had recorded a song of Natalie and I's called Smoking and Drinking and they were going to put it out as her second single off the the record that was out at the time and so Jason not meaning to, of course, but at the time, Girl Crush was going to be a struggle. It was going to be hard. This was not going to be... They knew they were in for a fight, so they asked Miranda to not put out Smoking and Drinking so that Little Big Town wouldn't be competing against themselves. Because they're on the track. Right. Yeah. So we ended up getting the fourth single off that record that did nothing. So we, Natalie and I, in one swoop of the strong hand of Girl Crush, lost two singles. So I cost you a... <laughs> Ferrari yeah, exactly. and uh, or one Bugatti. <laughs> I cost you one Bugatti. I've never shit. actually told that story like that, but when you were saying that, Nat, Nat, Natalie and I were both like, "Wow, this is happening." We were walking down this road in Texas. I'm not joking. This gravel road, and we were like working it out, walking like we just lost two singles in one swoop. And you know, at that time, we didn't really know. We we were hopeful that those songs would both have a chance eventually. The quit breaking up with me didn't, but. And maybe it will someday, but uh, smoking and drinking sort of got, you know, we came after like Little Red Wagon that radio had already sort of, uh, you know, put the brakes on that record. So it was just funny. Are you mad, no, at, it's are funny. You mad at me at all? No, I'm not mad at you at all. <laughs> he, he looked I, away when he said that, by the way. I, I'm a big body language reader. And when he said that, his eyes complete. Did you see him, Mike? I didn't know they, it was you I was mad at until now. It, they completely diverted. Um, what, who, what, what do you have here, Mike? I'll talk about Blue Apron for just one second. And Blue Apron comes to the house, actually comes to the door, and inside the box is a lot of ingredients. And not just random ingredients, but ingredients that make these awesome meals. There's a, you can get a new recipe every week, they put them up. Blue Apron, as a culinary team, and you can even check in, they'll be like, they'll be surprising that they're so good or so different. Recipes are not repeated within a year, you'll never get bored. And for less than $10 per person, per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals, and again, they're pre-portioned, so you're not buying a, a big box of something when you only need just a little cut of it, so it's guaranteed to be fresh, and there's a recipe card that comes with it, too, so step-by-step directions, Blue Apron, just do this, go to blueapron.com slash bobbycast, get your first three meals for free, right, boom, blueapron.com slash bobbycast, you love how good it feels and tastes, blueapron.com slash bobbycast, I love Blue Apron, Blue Apron is a better way to cook. All right, so we have some more songs here. Let's see. How about, man, 
I love it when my friends like have great things, right? I mean, these are my, these are my buds here. Stay a little longer from Brothers Osborne. It's, oh God, this is this is one of those nice surprises. I used to always talk about to Ashley Gorley because he would write these songs with these artists, and then they would just. After 50 weeks of being on the chart, they would go to number one. And I would say, that never happens to me. Like, they either die in the 40s or they're on a big artist and you know they're going. And I love Brothers Osborne. I mean, two of the greatest guys, if greatest you know musicians. Them, they're you, just the you best. You root for them. You... Absolutely. Um, like, and, and John and I are a lot closer than, than TJ. But that's because Lucy and I, are John's wife, are, yeah, are, yeah. we're really, really good friends. But, man, you talk about just talented dudes. Oh, they're just the best. And TJ's voice, I I think he's he's my favorite. I mean, I, I love his voice. And uh, so yeah, that one was that one was just one of those really fun ones because the fact when it started to catch and you started to see it happening and it had been out at, for 20 weeks before it went top 30. And then it started to catch and I'm like, "Oh my god." And when, that's the kind of song that you knew if people heard it, they would like it cuz it's just so they just sound so good, you know. How about this one here that you wrote? Different for girls. Was this written as a duet? No. It was actually, there was a huge contemplation of when we wrote it, of if we put a girl singing the demo or a guy. I ended up singing the demo because we thought it was a little edgier for a guy to say. So did you want a guy to sing it? When you all said and done after you wrote it, Yeah, you did want it. I thought it would have more effect if a guy said it. I didn't think a guy would say it. But I thought it would be a better risk, you know, like a, a bigger payoff if a guy said it. If a girl says it, girls say that a lot it of times. It sounds a little more uh, like they're complaining right. or something, yeah. And guy, it sounds like they're respecting. A lot of people have a, have a problem with this song. I mean, look, when you live in the bubble of our, I'm sure you get this, there are things that I read or go on boards and things and see people talking about songs. So I know things that the average person wouldn't notice about different for girls, but a lot of people thought, you know, that 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 song was uh, stereotyping girls, and girls would say, "I'm, I'm not like that. I, I don't, you know, I'm not sitting crying in the corner." And the truth was, we didn't, we didn't think it was about every girl. We just thought, in general, girls have a harder, in in some ways, they have it easier because they are vulnerable and they will say the way they feel. We were really trying to shed a, a good light on that, you know. But anyway. How about this one? Couldn't you say dirt again? Say you smile a little more on this one. Than, than yeah, this song wrote this with Matt Ramsey and Trevor Rosen uh, from Old Dominion, who are two of my best friends, and it was it was the first time the three of us had had a hit together, and we'd written for years. And uh, yeah, this song, I don't know. It's just th- what's funny is the the idea, and you can probably hear this in hearing it. I wrote this and stay a little longer, very close in time together. And uh, the initial idea, they on my like pad of paper uh, in my phone where I put notes, they're in the same sentence. Uh, the say you do goes into a thing about. Uh, one thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. They ended up being two songs, but they kind of, you know, they're kind of cousins. You do that a lot. You just uh, take your phone and go, oh, this could be something. Jot down. Boom. Yes, all day. Because I do that with stand up. I'll go, oh, yeah. here's a concept. Let me write it down because I don't forget it. And and you know you will. And then I'll come back to it later. So is that the same thing as you as a songwriter? Yes. And the most annoying part for me is that my my most creative moment is right before I fall asleep. 
don't know if you have that. It's sort of Shower like my brain during stops. like you ever wake up when I'm asleep and go, I gotta record this right yes. now. And you don't phone. want to like get up and go, yeah, yes. So I do that. My phone is full of ideas and sayings and things people say. A lot of times it's just I don't even know what it means when I go back and read it. I have to put a note by it, so I'll try to remember what I was thinking. I do that. I'll wake up, especially with the radio show is different because it's we're talking about things happening in the world. Uh, like when I do stand up, those are concept ideas. Oh, it's yeah. like a song, so it's like I have a bit idea, I write it down. But when I was writing the kids album, I um, I did a kids album and it was yeah. a number one kids album, and it was just crazy because what, what do I know? And so I wake up and I'm like, okay, and I record it in my phone. And it sounds like this. It goes. I grew up, I want And I was like, I called Eric Pasley. I said, dude, this is going to be a terrible. This is, you're gonna, I'm going to send you this thing, but it's terrible. But I was asleep, and I have this idea called When I Grow Up. And it's a it, I know the song, yeah. And so Eric, and uh, and he brought Phil Barton over because Phil had written for Thomas Tank, and he had done Thomas Oh, wow, okay. So we all sit around and wrote When I Grow Up, but it started with the, the worst 1 a.m. voice memo ever of me just going, I want to be a fireman, but... And I was like, dude, it sounds like Bob Dylan is half drunk, but... You know what that, to me, reads like? I always say that songs are already written. Like, they're, I always say they're in the rocks, and you have to chisel everything else out of the way. That's what it is those memos are to me. It's almost like there's a blanket over the song and you. It's like if you could just... You know what I mean? And it sounds like when you're like, well, I'll go... And you're kind of... It's almost like somebody's covering up the, the clear thought because you have to go in there and find it. That's the weirdest thing because songs float. I feel, I feel like they're like alive and they're like, you know, kind of floating around just waiting for someone to reach up and grab them. That it, like people that have a sixth sense that can talk to people on the other side. Or I think that when you create and you have those kind of ideas, you have a sense of a them floating. It's like part of the brain that you're not able to get to whenever you're, all your senses are working that when you shut down. Absolutely. To, or, yeah. or that that other part of your brain will say that's stupid. That's not a good idea. What song just fell out of you? It's like it shouldn't be this easy. Like what song? I, and I don't even look at the. I don't even I care. I was thinking what you think. of like I have them all. I, like I got I, to be honest with you. Merry Go Round was written really fast. Yeah. Uh, be, because we had an idea. Actually, my mom said the line. She was talking about our neighbors, and she said it in front of Josh Osborne. Josh said, "Why are there so many cars at your neighbor's house?" And my mom said, "I don't know, Josh. They're selling Mary Kay or Mary Jane or something." And we laughed. But then Josh and I were in the car and we were driving out to the ranch where we were going to meet Casey. And I said, man, you think about all the, all the things that are symbolized by the word Mary. From Merry Christmas to the Virgin Mary. You know, we always use the name Mary as a placeholder. And merry-go-round. And so we just listed all these things. When we actually sat down to write it and Casey was the one who heard it as a sad song. Um... It did. I, don't, I would say it took us less than two hours. Really? Yeah. Which song was like? There was a hit. Was like just you. Said, you, you mentioned "Body Like a Back Road." That one. I'm, I, that's the one. It's the one that was like you just. It took a long time. Well, it because he had an idea that we just couldn't quite. The way it sounds is exactly the way he always knew it was going to sound, basically. But he couldn't. We we were overriding, overriding, overriding. You know. Josh and I, and Zach did that track. It's unbelievable. Josh and I would just try to clever it to death. Body like a back road. Like, we were trying to make every metaphor for a woman's body and a back road. And all we ended up getting in there metaphorically was like, uh, I, with my eyes closed, driving with my eyes closed. I know every curve like the back of my hand. But beyond that, it would get cheesy 
but we still can't help but be songwriters and, and want to just make it just like, oh, we can just be so clever. Sam just kept editing those things out and saying, it's got to feel like a playful conversation. So I, w- I would say that it was difficult because he, he did most of the work, but time-wise, I, w- I couldn't even tell you the number of hours spent on that song. Weeks. Where do you think you need to be in your life to write the best songs? Meaning, what emotional state do you write the best songs in? I think for me, uh, it, it is it does happen when the collaboration is right. Because I used to write songs by myself, but now I really don't. And if I'm sitting with someone and we have a real spiritual moment about something that either they're going through or I'm going through, that to me is when you can connect with something. I mean, I don't think my best songs get recorded. Um, I, one of my best songs has been recorded, but it wasn't a single. My, uh, a song called Come Back to Me that Keith Urban recorded. And what had happened was um, my husband had said to me a few years ago, he made a comment that I had never heard anyone say. We were joking, talking about someone else being good looking. And he said, well, if there was somebody else that would make you happier, and he wasn't being an ass. He said, I would want you to have everything that you ever wanted. I mean, that's that's how much I love you. I don't adhere to that. I do not have that big of a... I'm not that spiritually evolved. <laughs> but I was telling Brandy Clark and Trevor Rosen that story. And they were like, wow. I mean, what a thing to say. So there we went and listed these things of like, if there's dance floors, you you ain't made a move on. You know, and if there's if there's um sand that you ain't wrote your name in. And uh, go and do everything. Because the, the line in the chorus is, um, I want to hold you, but I don't want to hold you back. And, uh, you know, it's not a, it's not where radio is those kind of songs, but it it is where my favorite moments are something like that. It was a real, we just had a really cool day. Brandy and Trevor and I talking about, wouldn't it be nice to love like that (laughs) where you really could let someone go for their good. Um, I would hold on for dear life and, you know, probably like stock, but, um, but anyway, that I don't, you know, I don't know if that was a long-winded answer to your question of when are your best songs written. It's just a, I think a lot of times it's just the magic in the room. We'll talk about a couple of my favorite artists. That I mean, listen, on the talent scale, you're far more talented than I am. We do have a lot of similar tastes, though. I can say we're similar. We, do. we, have, we absolutely we, do. We have a lot of. I'm a humongous Walker Hayes fan, Me and too. when he was just making his own stuff, would know. But I've just been a Walker Hayes fan forever, and so. He's the most unique and the most prolific songwriter I've ever known. I mean, it he just it's hard for me to even get in his brain because if that makes sense, cuz a lot of times when you collaborate with someone you want to see the world they do. He just sees with different he has like a different box of crayons. I've I mean, written with them and it's 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 like talking to someone who is in 11th grade when you're on eight, you're doing an 8th grade textbook. Absolutely. And I find it, I'll be honest with you, and he, I mean, he, he knows this. I, it's difficult. I find it hard because I often find myself, I mean, my ego gets involved and I feel a little stupid because he, he can trick out a line and add something that I just would have settled. And I don't, and I have a very high standard. I mean, I consider my bar to be pretty high, but, 
but he just he just has something. I think that that box of crayons analogy. I've never said that, but that is that is what I think. He's just he has more crayons in his box than the rest of us. Yeah, a lot, a lot. And Walker is out, you know, and I get to watch him every night, and he just gets better and better and better. He's even as a performer, but he is a songwriter and a, just a wordsmith, if that's even a thing. And the song he wrote for you. About. Yeah, we wrote a song called Namaste together. Oh, have I've you, heard it. Oh, heard yes, it? I love it. It is. I mean, the fact that y'all even when I saw the title, of course, I can't be surprised by any title he sends me. I've never even talked about this. So crazy. But talk, talk, yeah. So and this was a tune. He was like, I said, Hey, dude, we were going back and forth texting before we were writing it. We go in and we write. And we have a different. He's so whatever, and I'm like, Hey, let's add some funny stuff. Like beat it like Jackson. Like yeah, you know, yeah. Did, and so we write it, and I said, Hey, dude, if you want this song. You can have it. Yeah. Because if you don't, like I know we wrote it for me, but if you don't, I'm going to use it. I'm going to cut it. Yeah. But if you want it, you can have it. And he's like, man, you take it for now, but but we'll see. And I was like, let me know. And so. Well, it's, it, I mean, your girlfriend does a lot of yoga. I've heard you talk about oh, that. Oh, yeah, she does. And that's where. It, and so. And that, I was able to pull a lot of yoga real, things. For, yes. It's it, a very real song. I mean, that's the thing he can. People have not even heard this. There's a song that Walker and I wrote called <laughs> Namaste. <laughs> And it's about I started doing yoga. My girlfriend does yoga because she does yoga, and and it was like Namaste, but it's like Namaste, like no, I'm going to stay. It was like a dough. Yeah. It was like a, a Walker Hayes brain, like it's crazy. So I was Where like, did the idea? F- did he? I was know? talking about doing yoga. Okay. And I was like, hey, and I sent like three ideas, and he comes back with this, and then all of a sudden he was like, dude, n- let's do a Namaste song, and I'm like, okay, and it wasn't <laughs> no, I'm gonna stay first. Okay. It was See, like it seems like that's where it would have started, but that's where it ended up. And that was him who's like, "Why don't we turn this into uh, Namaste?" And I'm like, "Okay, got it." And then we just I, we that's we, insane. We wrote an hour and forty five minutes. Like we sat down. He it said is so piano. intricate. I mean, I, it's so good. And it was um yeah we and I told him we were out last weekend. I was like, dude, you should come in and at least partially produced a song. Like it's mm. so like oh and he and he's so I mean. He knows how to do that. You know, the the thing that brought that up was the, I, what I was referring to was the song Pain that he wrote about hearing his song on the radio. I was in my hometown in Mineral Wells, Texas. I was there for, uh, actually, a high school teacher of mine was the, like she was the coming home queen this year. Like she's 80 years old and it was some anniversary and I went and walked her and I was there. So I'm at the gym in my hometown working out and he sent that song to me. Pain. I was literally, I, I was dumbfounded. I mean, I, I was wish I had it to play because it's not available in the gym. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that he, I mean, he put it as, as an email and instead of a newsletter. And that second verse when he, dude, it's just, it, it's, it's a, it's a really, it's almost hard to listen to. It's that. That's real. right. That's how good it is. Mm-hmm. That it makes you uncomfortable. The name is perfect because it, it is a painful. <laughs> if something can make you uncomfortable, yeah. If if something can just make you feel again, it's that million lights. So how do you get yours to shine through? If something can just make you feel, period, something. It just feels something. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I'll play a little bit of pain here. And then I'm gonna... By the way, why I talk about Walker is Walker is now on Monument, which right. is part of a label. You have an imprint that you're running. Right, right. Yeah, so, so I'm Walker's president yeah. of Monument Records and, and Walker. 2016. Yeah. And Caitlin first. Sorry. I was driving Here's a little my dream come true. Came through my Honda factory, speakers and on me. Bobby Bones played a song that I wrote about Lonely Beach. Wait a minute, I got two songs going at once here. I was like, that's an odd version of Pain. Uh, hold on. I, for all our technology shit, Weirdly, that we was kind of working. It mixed, yeah. I'll play a little bit more of this. Here we go. May 23rd. 
2016, 7-something in the morning. I was driving when a dream come true. Came through my Honda factory speakers and on me. Bobby Bones played a song that I wrote about a lonely beer in the fridge. It's one of my dark ones. What you hear is how it felt from the broken of my heart. It's about addiction, love, loss, and recovery. Trust me, only wrote it because I had to get it out of me. Not for Nashville, not for radio, for nobody but me. And maybe that trouble sold press and rewind. Wrestling demons like mine, looking for company in this design. It doesn't really feel so grand all the time. Dang. Even if my name wasn't in it, I'll I be like, chill get through it. I mean, I can't. I, it never doesn't make me cry. It's yeah, because it's so freaking. Well, you real. know, and I know his story, and 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 I know, and I know, I've been down in those ways, and the, the way the music business is, you you put everything into it, and it doesn't mean you're going to get anything out of it. And it's he's not, and he came in, and he talked about that. It, yeah. He's been dropped and picked up, and dropped and picked exactly. up. And he told a story. And if you're just listening to this one, you have to listen to the Walker Hayes one. I encourage you to. Because he told the story of it's him. So good. And there's a, did you hear the wine with Walker? Yes. Where he's like, I was playing at Puckett's, and they, this kid that idolized me came up to me, and he had to ask him, Walker to ask him for a job. I know. I hadn't heard that story until the the y'all's uh, Bob, Bobby Cast. That's yeah. what we call it. But um, he also you said something in it. I wanted to bring up to you. It's really really great. I loved it. Uh, you said, um, and you said it off the cuff. You may not even remember saying it. You said because even falling forward is forward motion. And I, you were talking about, and I can't honestly remember even in context what you were talking about. You're talking about falling down, people doing the wrong thing, quote, uh, you know, that that still, it doesn't matter if you get knocked down, falling forward is forward motion. I believe that, but I'd never heard it said that way. It's really, it was really, uh, I loved it. Well, thanks. And you have, you have two artists right now. You have Walker and you have yeah. Caitlin Smith. And it was like you went and made a label with my favorite <laughs> <know>. artist. <laughs> Like just I just listening to your show I, and signing the people you love. I love Caitlyn so much. Like I, know. I, I took Caitlyn on the road with this too. Yeah. I loved her so much. I, I, I love this song. Her, her music, her voice, everything. I just she's just amazing. Like it's like I, I texted Jason. I was like, I mean, can I buy part of this yeah. imprint? Like how do I? <laughs> we, we may need investors. How do I invest into this? Because these, yeah. She's so good. I, I can't wait for the new like and oh gosh yeah and she just cut I mean you probably know but she just cut five new things and uh I mean this song I can't just and I have to be honest I did not know a lot about her until she was brought in for the monument thing I knew her name and I knew this town's killing me I knew that song and I I'd written I'd actually written with Caitlin years ago but but I but seeing but I have to tell you seeing the girls sing live. Is, I mean, it's like you're seeing one of the greats, truly. Yep. It's like, okay, it's just a matter of when it's going to happen. Right. There's some people you look at and go, hmm, hadn't happened yet. Oh, it will. Oh, yeah. There's no, I mean, there's no stopping it. She's, it, nobody, God doesn't give someone a voice like that without, I mean, that is a, this, we're talking like Adele level sing. I mean, I use Adele because she's our, you know, sort of the queen, but, but when you look back over voices, Aretha, um, Whitney Houston. I have no problem with you comparing to those. To she those, is. When, I, she I'm is just, those people. I mean, that's the thing. She sings just as good. She's just not famous yet. And yet is the thing. Yeah. And I remember, well, I'm just a huge fan. And, and she's a sweetheart. I mean, you can't not love her. She's just a real girl. And isn't that the key? I found the key for me in my, in my life and my career. Just surround yourself, one, with really good people. Yeah. And... 
people that they obviously have to be motivated, but the key is just around yourself because it makes you better. I think you attract. I, I I wish that I was. I don't think I'm necessarily the great judge of people right when I meet them, but I have consistently been put in the path of people that are wonderful, and so. I think because I know that, like I kind of trust people probably too soon because my experiences have been that I've just have angels around me. I mean, that's, I say that all the time in the, in the friendship and relationships of working, you know, in music, it's all, it all blends family. I just have the greatest people around me. And, uh, so I just, I'll just get in that flow. I don't, you know, for me, I, it's been accidental, but, but what a great, uh, it's been a charmed, a charmed path in that regard. Kaylin is such a good writer too. I'm just thinking because I'm as I, I'm, I'm about to cuts right now, too. And, and I'm about to go to my girlfriend's. Album. She's putting out a, a record, and so um, Caitlin wrote one. Lindsay wrote most songs. She picked up two outside songs. One is from a Caitlin song, okay, and one's a Ryan Hurd song. Two of my friends, yeah. And it's just weird how this town is just. Well, it's it also seems like Caitlin, like the fact that Lindsay's record is coming out right now, and there's a couple of other records coming out with Caitlin. Sunny songs. and Smokler, yeah. they have Caitlin yeah. songs on exactly. Them. Yeah, it's it's good. It's it, a good moment, and and Walker also is starting to have a, a cool. You know, I was gonna say when when he when Payne was playing, he talks about beer in the fridge, and Keith Urban texted me the day you played that. I didn't even know you were gonna play it, and this is so bizarre. Nobody ever knows anything I'm gonna play. Well, and Walker didn't know either. Yeah. Clearly, Keith texted me though. Check this out. This is crazy. He texted me and said, "I just heard a song called Beer in the Fridge on the radio. I would bet money." you have something to do with it. And I took it as such an insane compliment. And I was like, why would you think that? And he was just like, I don't know. I just felt like something in it was your kind of story. And he was right. And I, I was like, God, that, I, I take that as such a compliment because that song is so special to Walker. But the fact that Keith heard any any of my influence in that, you know what I mean? Yeah, I he didn't know Walker or what. I mean, he probably has heard his name, but. Um, he obviously listens to you and, and loves you and I love Keith Urban too he's Me certainly too. one of my people like that dude, I was and, and we'll we'll rap um, but that Urban dude he's a great like he I was in Australia and he texted me and goes are you in Australia come to my house and I'm like oh. what it's Christmas Eve too I'm like I'm not coming to your house Christmas Eve Christmas Eve I, I'm not coming I said dude I'm not coming to your house on Christmas Eve and he's like it's just Nick and I some of our family like you and Lindsay come over oh. and I was like okay I know like it's it, it's biz- right. It biz- it's, it's bizarre. bizarre. It's like they're a little big town in Keith. There are these people, and you're like, why? Why? I'm just an idiot on the radio. But I, I I feel like the person in the corner just be so glad that they even listen to my songs, and I never want to cross a line. I feel like me you know, too. But they just they literally pull you over the yeah. line. They're like, they're so we are friends. This is I'm a normal person, but I still it's hard for me to accept it. Mm. It, this has been a really enjoyable talk for me. The same. Thank I, you I so hope, much. I hope for you've enjoyed me. it. For me, it was uh, I, like I'm not kidding. One of my friends who is uh, is does PR for me. She works at Green Room, and so she texts me. She goes, "Hey, you know, you should get on the Bobbycast." And I'm like, "Who?" She goes, "Shane." I'm not kidding. She goes, "Shane McAnally." I said, "He's coming over in like 30 minutes." She's oh, like, seriously? Not kidding. And she's like, what? "No." I was like, "Yeah, he's coming. Over. He's on the way. He got sick last week, but he's coming over this week." And she was like, "Oh my god." And anyway, it's just weird. Like, well, look, look at this. Here, hold on. Has Shane McInerney in the Bobby Cast? He should. That was sent today at three twenty-two p.m. That is really weird, especially because we were going to do it yeah. last week. So the fact that we did it today, and I was like, uh, "See, it's, I'm like, telling you, that's not." I was like, "He should," and he is. <laughs> It'll be in about twenty minutes. Man, um, I've really thank enjoyed you so this. much for for everything you do. 
for the I mean it, it's just, it's a it is you know coincidental of how many things because of our taste that we work on uh, that you have championed but you really do have a, a, a lot to do with the things that I get involved with and I'm afraid no one's ever going to hear them um, because you really do dig and find these things that uh, that I hope are going to make a difference long term and so I thank think, you for doing that I I just I think we both just do what we love yeah and we feel awkward people think us for doing something we love because we just love it anyway. I mean you have to understand when, I, when I'm working on these songs that don't quite fit or working with these artists that don't quite fit they have to have a light shown on them, and you're not afraid to do that. You don't wait for someone else to tell you that it's good. That's very unusual in this business, and you have to just know that it means a lot. Thank you. I feel very awkward, but I'm just going to say you're welcome and move on. <laughs> I do right. not do well with That's compliments right. at know, all. I know. Uh, it's, it's really been a pleasure. Thank you for coming yeah. by. I'm a huge fan. And now, because I met your husband, and loved, we had a great time. I know. He told me. I was, it was, <laughs> I was like, I've met everybody in the whole world but Shane. Yeah, I know. It's so and we wild. have, like, uh, thank now you. Now we'll see each other all the time. It'll be great. I'll see you at the AC. You going to the ACMs? Heck yeah. I'll see you at the ACMs, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Shane McAnally here. Episode what, Mike? Episode this, Mike? Five. Episode five. Uh, Shane McAnally, you want to promote anything right now? Twitter? Any, I, I think we you any promoted show. Any? You promoted the crap out of me. All I right, Shane McAnally, and uh, we'll be back uh, next time, uh, Monday or next week. I think uh, Aubrey Sellers coming in. Who? Oh. Aubrey's awesome, and her so mom's good. awesome. I mean, I, yeah, and you mentioned her earlier. She's uh, she's the best. Yeah. So uh, okay, well, I guess we're gonna go. Bye, everybody.